0: I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. With President Barack Obama set to return to private life later this month, Much of his legacy on K-12 education rests on his administration's efforts to overhaul how American teachers are evaluated, an agenda it pursued through an ambitious series of incentive programs for states and school districts. My guest today argues that those efforts have paid off in some ways, but backfired in others, with far-reaching consequences that are only now becoming clear. And as one of the Obama administration officials charged with implementing those policies, he's in a unique position To reflect on what the administration got right and wrong on its signature reform i'm marty west editor-in-chief of education next and i'm joined today by chad alderman a principal at bellwether education partners and as i said a former policy advisor at the u.s department of education his article on the obama administration's evaluation reforms will appear in the spring 2017 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org chad Welcome to the Ednext podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: So I wonder if you could start out by taking us back to the early days of the Obama administration when it came into office in 2009. Why did the administration decide to make teacher evaluation systems the focus of its reform agenda? Uh, It's certainly not politically an easy issue to try to tackle.
1: Yeah, so uh, just to start off by saying that I wasn't in the rooms at that point. I, I joined the administration in 2011 and 2012, but um, I offer some uh, conjectures in the piece about why uh, the administration chose teacher eval as one of the key signature places it wanted to make a bet. And Um, it's important to remember where we were in 2009. There was a lot of research coming out about the importance of teacher quality and uh, research suggesting that teacher quality was the most important in-school factor for student success, and uh, there was also new research out that was quite brown, groundbreaking called the, the, uh, from the new teacher project, TNTP, on the widget effect. It looked at uh, 12 districts across the country and found that, by and large, districts were treating all teachers as interchangeable widgets, and they weren't uh, differentiating from um, good versus great and good versus fair or, or less than fair uh, teaching practice. And even when they did differentiate, they were um, Uh, in their evaluation systems, they weren't using that information to make consequential decisions. And so they were both identifying teachers and treating them as widgets, but then also treating them as widgets in terms of how they made consequential decisions in the back end. And so those two things, I think, um, provided an impetus for the Obama administration. And the final thing was, um, this is 2009, and there was a big... um, uh, stimulus package that was going through Congress. And um, the, the stimulus package, uh, what eventually became the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, included $5 billion that was largely left to the Secretary's discretion to decide how to shape it and to spend it and award it to states as a competitive grant program that eventually became Reach the Top. Um, and so... Uh, both the, the policy and the research was there as well as the opportunity were there. And so I think that's kind of how we got to the place where T. Tree became uh, such a big topic uh, from, from the federal level.
0: So one of the ways in which the Obama administration set out to pursue this agenda was through Race to the Top. But as you note, this was not just a one-off competition for states, that actually this emphasis really permeated virtually everything that the administration did in education policy. Talk a little bit about some of the other ways in which it pushed states to change their evaluation systems. And also tell us what types of changes the administration wanted states to make.
1: Yep, so um, Race the Top really got the ball rolling and that's when the administration kind of created its policy. But from there any administration will come up with a suite of budget documents and uh, goals and uh, they start to create what are called secretary's priorities that then get embedded into competitions all throughout the Department of Education, everything from Uh, The Bureau of Indian Education has some uh, programs. Uh, There's programs on English language learners. There's there's programs for students with disabilities. And so all of those, uh, over time, slowly um, get embedded with priorities. And so it's um, as I talk about in the piece, there's sort of a ball that gets rolling. And once the priorities are set, the priorities get folded into lots of different places. And the big places, in addition to those places I mentioned, after Race to the Top were the Obama administration's blueprint for ESEA reauthorization in 2010, which uh, didn't get picked up by Congress, but the Obama administration eventually attempted to implement through uh, waivers of No Child Left Behind, as well as um, uh, the Teacher Incentive Program, Teacher Incentive Fund, which was a competitive grant program specifically designed for states and districts that wanted to redesign their teacher and principal evaluation systems and um, as well as their compensation systems for teachers and
0: principals. And, and so that's a good example. That was a pre existing grant program that dates back to the Bush administration designed to support innovation in how teachers are compensated. And they took their prescriptions for teacher evaluation and embedded them as a competitive priority priori- or actually a requirement for applicants for those funds.
1: Exactly same definition that was used in Race the Top was embedded in the Teacher Incentive Fund. It was later embedded in the um, the No Child Left Behind waivers that I mentioned, as well as the other uh, programs that are implemented throughout the department.
0: So Um, what is that definition? Tell us what exactly were they looking for in terms of changes?
1: Yep. So the the rules for Race the Top were such that uh, they encouraged states and districts to identify Teachers and principals based in significant part on student growth. And so they were asking states and districts to embed student growth into their evaluation systems in significant part. And student growth had a definition as well. And it meant that uh, it was the change over time in student achievement. And for tested grades and subjects, it had to include. The t- the test that was given by states and, and by testing grades and subjects I mean uh, reading and math and grades three through eight where there are growth scores that can be calculated and those really um, that particular piece then became one of the most controversial um, and it's it's what led to a lot of subsequent backlash and misunderstandings about the attempt and it was subject to critiques that teachers were being evaluated based on a single test score or they would be fired based on that test score. Um, That wasn't quite the policy, but that was how it was often portrayed in the media or sometimes in the states.
0: So we'll get to some of that pushback and some of the sort of course corrections that you might have suggested in retrospect. But first, I I want to give you a chance to talk about some of the positive changes that you think that the administration's efforts uh, actually have yielded.
1: I do want to acknowledge that there's been quite a bit of positive change across the country, and I don't think that story has been told sufficiently. And so in the piece, I go through that fairly quickly, although there have been other attempts to do this as well. Um, So what I talk about in the piece are that we now have better systems and tools than we ever did to evaluate teachers and principals. Uh, More states are collecting growth data for more types of teachers and for principals. And they're doing so in more sophisticated ways, using more controls, uh, looking at trying to isolate an individual teacher's effect in smarter ways. We have way more research now on teacher evaluations and principal evaluations than we did before the administration. We've learned some important things about that. We also have more um, states and districts are using better observation rubrics to evaluate teachers and principals. Um, whereas they used to be more um, checklists or pretty cursory evaluations. More places now are using high-quality observation rubrics that have been tested and verified that they're aligned with broader student outcomes and not just sort of uh, district-created simple uh, checklists.
0: And one of the things I was interested in learning about from your piece is that uh, the Institute of Education Sciences actually did a – randomized controlled trial studying the investments that the Obama administration made through the teacher incentive fund program and found that districts actually that were selected to carry out those programs did see improvements in student outcomes.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think there's some uh, unique elements to the teacher incentive fund, which I think, as I talked about in the piece, that it was um, a specific program targeted towards Uh, districts that wanted to revamp their teacher and principal evaluation and compensation systems. And there were some flaws in how that was implemented in terms of the measures that were used, how the districts doled out the awards, and um, the communication they had with teachers. And yet, despite some of those flaws, we had uh, uh, an evaluation that actually found there were some positive effects of it. And so I think that, as well as some other studies, there's been studies on teacher-evalued systems broadly in Chicago or um, Cincinnati that have found that evaluation as a whole can be used as a way to improve student outcomes. Um, And and I don't want to overinterpret that. There are definitely um, some caveats to those things about implementation and um, who is being asked to to make these changes, but it does suggest that at least in the, the general theory of action that there is something to the effect of we can um, implement better teacher and principal evaluation systems that have positive effects for
0: students. So let's turn now then to what maybe differs from teacher incentive fund and some of the other strategies that the administration used and think about sort of what lessons we might draw from that. So um, start to tell us what went wrong, where the Obama administration made some decisions that you think in retrospect don't look as, uh, as good.
1: Yeah, I identify four different places where I think that um, the administration didn't quite get things right. And uh, some of these were apparent at the time. There were critics who identified them then. And uh, some of them have only become more apparent over time. But the four that I identify are one that um, I talk about how the TIF program was very specific. It was, created a pot of money for districts that really wanted to do a specific reform. And then it gave them money to do that teacher evaluation effort went wrong from the administration's perspective was it it tried to apply a particular reform universally, and it said that all states should should be doing this type of thing. And I think that was... um Fueled a lot of backlash. It meant that places that didn't really have an interest in doing this reform were then sort of put under the gun and and, um, asked to do something that they didn't want to do, and they didn't have any specific money to do it. And so those uh, two things, I think, meant that the universal approach wasn't a good fit for this type of reform.
0: And that's clear in in the No Child Left Behind waiver initiative, right? Uh, Where uh, yes, it was voluntary formally, but the incentives to get flexibility from NCLB's requirements were such that virtually all states felt compelled to uh, go to the administration and ask for a waiver. And the administration said, all right, but you need to evaluate your teachers in this way.
1: That's right. Yeah. And um, so by tying the waivers from No Child Left Behind to the teacher eval reforms. Um, it put a lot of states in a pressure position. They they weren't forced to. There were states that chose not to, but um, a lot of states wanted that flexibility uh, on the accountability front, and so they chose to pursue this. But the, the downside of that was they signed up for a suite of reforms, including teacher and principal evaluation systems, that they might not have been as interested in doing. and uh, So they might have Pursued a waiver even if they didn't weren't as committed to all of the reforms that the administration might have wanted them to to pursue.
0: So let's turn then to what exactly the administration was telling states to do. Um, Did you think they got the definition of what they should be looking for in an evaluation system right? No.
1: the second point is I, I said that uh, maybe we had too narrow of a definition of reform. And and by this, I mean going back to the, the definition of student growth. So the basic principle behind the race to the top inclusion of student growth was that uh, teacher and principal evaluation systems, broadly speaking, across the country, weren't aligned to student outcomes. And by that, I mean that um, virtually every teacher was getting a satisfactory rating regardless of how effective they were at raising student performance. And so the kind of natural decision point for the Obama administration in Race to the Top was to say, well, uh, we should just make every teacher's evaluation system include student growth. And that was a, a natural idea, but I think that led to some uh, bad consequences. And it, and it shifted away from a focus on... Um, the ultimate goals, which were to have an effective an evaluation system that differentiated teachers and then allowed districts to pursue different human capital decisions based on the results of the evaluation system, but and it also meant that uh, we were too focused on the percentage of uh, student growth in each teacher's evaluation, or things like are they actually including the state test in their evaluation system, and so those. Were, it was very concrete and easy to look at, but weren't necessarily the, the most effective ways to look at this and uh, wasn't a very holistic way to look at evaluation reform.
0: And one of the things that happened uh, was since the state test is only available for such a small share of teachers, uh, states and districts went to great lengths, maybe in ways that were difficult to anticipate in advance, to try to find ways to create additional assessments to allow other teachers to be included as well? Right.
1: And so in the the piece, I I read about how a better way would have been to look at outcomes on the back end, to say, do you have uh, an evaluation system that produces uh, results that are broadly differentiated? And so you're looking, and are you able to tell who is a great teacher versus a fair teacher, and what are their strengths and weaknesses, and how do we help them improve? and uh, as opposed to the focus just on the rules of the system and the definitions. And uh, and, and that would have allowed for um, not doing the types of activities that you just highlighted of creating a bunch of new assessments to measure before and after um, where students are before and where they are after and trying to come up with a mathematical formula for every teacher about how much they contribute to student growth
0: every year. And one of the possibilities you mentioned is that actually, once you have evaluation results for those teachers where student growth data is available, you could use it as, in effect, an audit for the evaluation system without necessarily including it for all teachers.
1: Yep. Doug Harris has uh, written about this, and he, he calls it sort of a, a check on the system. Um, and he wrote a piece a couple of years ago for the Shanker Institute blog. And this was after my, my service, and I reached out to them and said, we, we would have allowed that as a check on the system. that could have been used in a significant way, but uh, no state ever proposed it, and there was this big focus on percentage allocations, and there's a, a fight on that as opposed to thinking about smart ways to really get at the, the heart and the goals of the system and meeting the – so there was a lot of trying to comply with the – Theoretical desires of the Obama administration, as opposed to coming up with smart ways to reach the same end goal.
0: Interesting. That's a story that highlights the importance of communication, I guess, uh, in both directions in our federal system. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one of the the final concern you you highlight, in addition to having to narrow a definition of reform that's pushed too universally and in a way that led to a focus on process over purpose. You talk about the issue of timing and highlight the interaction between teacher evaluation reform and changes that states were making uh, to their standards, uh, many of them implementing the Common Core. Talk a little bit about how that played out.
1: Yeah, so this was part of the NCLB waivers. And at the time we thought it was a pretty smart idea that we would have The common core, uh, the new standards and the new assessments for the common core and the new teacher evaluation systems probably put together in alignment and timeline. And so they would, um, every state would um, pilot both the assessments and the teacher evaluation system in 2013-14, potentially with no stakes in in it, and then implement it in 2014-15. And the reason we thought that was a good idea because it, it, would, it would give teachers an uh, opportunity to, to see the pilot, to see the assessments, and then uh, start to use it. And um, that sort of timeline made sense as a way to both learn about and um, make tweaks over time as well. But uh, obviously that, that did not work as we planned, and the administration subsequently had to issue lots of waivers to states, waivers of waivers, to states to extend timelines and uh, make other decisions. And, and partly that was just pure logistics It was and po- politics that um, teachers could claim that they hadn't seen some of these assessments, they weren't part of pilots, the pilots weren't robust enough, or um, they didn't feel like they could be evaluated in the first year of a new assessment. And um, that was a, a politically attractive argument, and a lot of states were able to, to push off. The one thing I, I note in my paper is that logistically that is not, um, that concern wasn't actually as valid as, as maybe it played out in the public. The um, growth scores were always, could have, were logistically feasible to calculate growth scores for a new assessment. And teachers who were not as effective under one assessment tend to be not as effective under another assessment. And um,
0: So technically the problem could be solved, but politically it was a disaster.
1: That wasn't very effective, and um, the you know a wonky logistical argument is not going to win against more of a uh, emotional um, uh, political argument.
0: And you uh, argue that this likely played an important role in some of the changes that were ultimately made to the Elementary and Secondary Education Act with the Every Student Succeeds Act in 2015.
1: Yeah, so I talk about in the the, the paper I I point out. There's this um, movement across the states for students to opt out of state assessments, and um, while there were lots of causes for that, there was a survey of um, opt-out participants, and uh, the first two survey response, they said for the most important reason, were tied to the uses of the tests and the uses of the tests particularly for teacher evals. And so the opt-out movement that grew across the country can be pretty plausibly linked to um, some of the teacher eval student growth requirements that were put in place. And um, so that sort of fervor that uh, bubbled across the country, I think, then uh, trickled into the, the conversation about the federal education law as well.
0: So we've spent most of this conversation looking back, uh, and we really appreciate your honesty in this conversation and in, in writing the piece. It's incredibly valuable. What do you see looking forward as the lessons that we should draw? Right now, states have control over teacher evaluation systems. Um, you know, the Congress chose not to place any requirements on states with respect to those systems in the Every Student Succeeds Act, so you have states making decisions at that level, uh, you also have a new presidential administration coming into office. What advice do you have for them and for the states
1: for states i 'll start there I would say there's there's lessons here for for states that have laws on the books of uh, teacher and principal evaluation or compensation or other Human capital decisions, and really they should be less focused on some of the input measures or what the system looks like and much more focused on the back-end results. Like, are, are districts actually able to differentiate across their teachers? Are they making different decisions based on those? Um, the state can nudge uh, districts in certain ways by collecting the right data and by um, – A lot of states have already moved to allow that local flexibility, but to make sure that districts know about and are actually using some of those flexibilities. So that's all on the teacher eval specific context. But I think there's also lessons here for the next administration. Um, And I would say a couple uh, lessons there. One is that um, the, the focus on the purpose of the program as opposed to the specific design elements and being flexible with that. Um, inevitably things are going to get codified particularly in these first couple years and to be um, to be able to listen to critics and to make changes over time will be difficult but important I think and um, for the critics of the administration going forward. I think it's important to, one thing I read in my piece is that we had some critics that didn't resonate with us in terms of they made overblown statements about our policies, like they were um, forcing teachers to be fired based on the results of a single test score. And that wasn't true. And there was a lot more nuance to our policy. And so by, if someone made that claim, at least I personally would tend to not Um, necessarily credit that sort of critique going forward or that person going forward. And so I think it behooves critics to make um, honest assessments and to use um, straightforward language that actually is is truthful and honest and doesn't uh, overblow some of the actual policies on the ground.
0: So lessons not just for the incoming administration, but also for its critics. Chad, thanks for taking the time for the conversation and thanks for a great article. Thanks
1: for having me. I I hope you enjoy it.
0: My guest today has been Chad Alderman, a principal at Bellwether Education Partners and the author of Teacher Evaluation Revamp, In Hindsight, an article that will appear in the spring 2017 issue of Education Next and is available now at educationnext.org. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.